Welcome to the taxation section of microeconomics. This is Dr. Terry Elin coming to you from home to wherever you are. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the economic ride. So when it comes to taxation, there's a series of points that we have to try to get across in this chapter that I find important. First and foremost, what is the use of taxes and economics? Well, taxes can serve two purposes. The first purpose is to generate revenue. If we think of any government out there and they want to finance their expenditures, taxation is one of the main tools being used. It's a tool that we can use if we don't want to print new money, if we don't want to borrow, we have to generate some form of government revenue and that government revenue is typically taxes. So it is revenue generating. However, if you look at the videos and you see the graphs, you see that as soon as you introduce a tax or tax wedge, you're creating a distance, a difference between the price paid and the price received. And as soon as you do so, you're always going to have a situation where people are consuming less units than in the free market equilibrium. So similar to when we had price controls or monopoly, we have a higher price paid by the consumer and we have fewer units sold. And similarly to what we've seen along those lines in the past, that leads to a debt weight loss in the sense that those units that people have a willingness to pay that is greater than the production cost at the end are not produced or sold because even though like we could be looking at a product that's selling for $12, producers are receiving 10, well, you might have people that are willing to pay 11, which is above what it costs the producers to produce, but because they have to charge this $2 per unit tax, at, uh, if they only get paid $11, they only receive $9 after they remit the tax back to the government, therefore it doesn't cover the production costs and they would not sell it. You remove this tax, more units are sold in exchange, which is better for society in general. So this leads to a certain distortion, which is not optimal for society. But as I said, taxes are generally used to generate revenue and is a good way of financing different expenditures by the government. Another tool for taxes is sometimes you actually want to distort people's behavior. So if we think of a carbon tax, it still generates revenue, but it actually has a second benefit. And we'll see in the next chapter of environmental problems with externalities that sometimes in those situations when we have pollution as a byproduct, free market leads to overproduction or overconsumption. Similarly for cigarettes or any kind of products that is bad for your health and could lead to extra social costs. So in that respect, the free market quantity may be too large. We may want to limit it because of other reasons which will become clear next chapter. So in that respect, it might be good to reduce the amount of sales, the amount of production and consumption of this product. So a carbon tax not only generates revenue, but actually distorts behavior to a more optimal quantity of units exchanged. So it could be a double benefit.
And then the thing that there's a few points that I want to get across when it comes to taxes. And one of those first few points is the idea that some people have that introducing taxes, whether you introduce it on a consumer or the producer, if you introduce it on the producer, they're just going to pass on the full extent of that tax, the whole amount that they get charged by the government onto the consumer. Some people have the impression that if we were to tax a certain producer of a certain good, they're just going to pass on that cost to the consumer. And it is always the poor consumer who gets hurt by any of these taxes. The rich corporations don't really get impacted by a tax. It's only the consumer. Well, in reality, this is not always true. It can be true, but it's not typically the case. So how does this work out? Well, this depends on relative elasticities of supply and demand. So just to give you an idea without going into the graphs itself, if you have a good where people really need that good, it's an essential good, there is no substitutes such as gasoline unless you decide to switch to an electric car. But if we move back 20 years, there is not an electric alternative. Well, in that situation, you have a need for gasoline you could limit your movements but if you have to work and you have to go get your kids and you have to do other things even if the price of gasoline goes up by 20 percent because of a tax you're probably going to consume a similar amount in the short term until you might decide to move to a nearer location to work so in that specific case if we introduce a tax on the producer and they know that you will not respond to an increase in prices, then they could easily push on that price to you and that you are bearing most of the increase in price due to the tax. You're paying most of that tax. So in that respect, that assumption is true. What those people are saying can be true. But that's not always the case. If the government were to introduce a tax on a specific uh, food product or construction product or something else along those lines if the government taxes more sugary drinks uh, people might uh, no longer buy sugary drinks and buy something else because sugary drinks such as pop like uh, coca-cola or anything else along those lines uh, is not required to survive therefore if there's such a tax being imposed on those drinks. It might be that the producer will not try to pass on the, the full extent of that tax to the consumer because if they try to increase the price by, let's say, 20% and the consumer is responsive to a change in price, they might lose all their sales. So in those cases, since the consumer has more substitutes, they're more responsive, and because they're more responsive, the producer might actually want to take a profit margin hit by lowering the, their before tax price so that once they add on the tax, the price stays relatively the same as before or just maybe marginally higher so that they don't lose all their customers because they now face a higher price and all the other alternative products, um, beverages out there that are not in that category are not taxed so they're not uh, facing 
fierce competition on along those lines. So the case of passing on the tax from the producer to the consumer in a nutshell is based on who is more desperate for this purchase or sale. If the consumer has a lot of options and the producer doesn't, the producer is the one that's going to get hit the most. If the producer has a lot of options and the consumer doesn't, well, it's the consumer that's going to get hit more. And you might have a situation where they both don't have options or they both have options. Well, it depends who has the most options. So that sugary drink manufacturer, well, it might have all the facilities to, to making other beverages that aren't as sugary. So even if the consumer has a lot of options, maybe they also have a lot of options out there and uh, they could just adjust and therefore they could pass on part of that expense to the consumer and another good so it all depends who is most desperate and who is most desperate is the one that's going to get hurt the most in this story uh, and it could be shared evenly so if we just draw like a typical demand curve and an upward sloping supply curve and they're both kind of like normal looking none is very steep or very flat well then the burden is shared pretty much equally between both parties and that makes sense to think that a product that used to sell for $10 that faces a $2 tax might now sell for $11. So the consumer is paying $1 more and the producer is receiving only $9. And so is reducing, uh, is receiving $1 less. And therefore we have a situation where they both get hurt a little bit, but no one bears the full extent of this tax. So, this whole story of tax incidents has to be known, distribution of burden, social welfare analysis, and so on. And then the second big thing that I often hear people say, and I feel that it is wrong, and I want you guys to understand, is the whole idea of income taxes. Some people believe that if their income goes up too much in a given year, that they might switch tax brackets and end up with less money. I've heard people say, I don't wanna take on that contract because if I do, my salary just kinda switch brackets, like I'm maybe in that up to $100,000 bracket, I'm earning 98, but if I earn an extra three and I'm at that 100 plus bracket, I end up with less money after taxes are paid. Well, that is completely false. The income tax system, the way it's structured, it is impossible for you to earn more money and end up with less after your taxes are paid. And the way that works is that there is different tax rates for different levels of income, but that is always based on the income in that bracket. So if I think of that example I just gave, that you're getting taxed a certain percentage at 98000 well, that percentage of the bracket is in that bracket. For every extra dollar, this is how many percent you have to pay to the government. It's not your average income tax rate, it's your marginal tax rate. And that marginal tax rate will remain the same within the whole bracket. So let's say it's 30% for that whole bracket, like 80 to 100,000. And in that case, for every dollar that you earn, you give 30% to the government. Well, if you earn 101,000 and you switch to a bracket that let's say is 40%, well, that 40%, you'll only owe it on that final thousand that is in that bracket. The first 2,000 that you earn, 
you owe 30% of government because that was the bracket that you're in. So like for 2000, you owe 600. And then for the extra thousand in the new bracket, you'll owe 400. So you owe a thousand out of the 3000 extra salary that you've made. So you've kept 2000 and you've given 1000 to the government. It's true that the more you earn a greater percentage of what you earn, your extra dollars will be remitted to the government. And that is a progressive tax system trying to find a way to have the rich pay for a higher proportion of the taxes than the poor and compared to if we were to consider a flat rate tax system, which would be that for every dollar that you earn, you always have to remit the same percentage. That would be simpler to administer, but it would be unfair to poor people relative to rich people. So that's why we have a progressive tax system. And based on that, a typical question that arises is asking you to calculate if you have uh, different tax rates given to you for different brackets. Uh, it will be simpler than the, the numbers found in the slides that reflect reality for the different years. And this is always changing. So like I don't update my slides every year. But if you just type in Canadian income tax rates on Google, you should find it pretty quickly. Well, in that situation, uh, you'll have two different income levels and you'll have to determine what is your after-tax income in both income levels. And it's always going to be close to a, a bracket switch, like that example of 98 and 101. And it's going to be asking, is it worse for you or uh, could you end up with less money after taxes are paid by making that switch? And the big answer should always be no you cannot earn more and end up with less that should be a given and i find it super important to stress this fact because i once heard another business faculty say exactly those words and it struck me really hard because i think if that person can make a mistake a lot of people can and it is worth noting that uh, that is not the case and along those lines, the thing that's also important to note for you guys, and I remember this from when I was a CGEP student, is sometimes you might work a summer job and that summer job might offer you to work overtime and uh, you might work overtime and you'll end up noticing that you'll end up with a smaller percentage of what you've earned deposited into your bank account. And then you think, well, is it really worthwhile for me to do overtime if the government's taking so much money away and I end up with less? Should I just not get paid time and a half for those extra hours and just ask my employer to pay those extra 20 hours in a week when I go back to school and I no longer have payment? Well, the answer to that is no, you should get a paid full amount uh, and get paid all those extra hours if they offer you to pay uh, let's say you work 20 hours at time and a half they offer to pay you the equivalent of 30 hours in the future when you go back to school that's fine because you're paid the same amount of gross income the gross salary salary before you remove income taxes but if they only offer you to pay the hours without giving you the, the kind of advantage of having time and a half or double time then it's not worthwhile and yes it is true that if you get paid, like I used to work 72 hour weeks, 
So I was getting paid 100 hours because of double time most of those hours and then a time and a half for some of them. And those weeks, I would get a really high gross salary, but I would get a lot of deductions. And the reason for that is that the computer system that generates paychecks is not the most intelligent in the sense that it doesn't know that you're only doing this for a few months in the year. It, when it sees you make a certain level of money, it assumes that you are making that amount of money for the whole year. And if it works that way, that means that if a given week, for some reason, you've done so much overtime that you end up with a $2,000 salary, well, that machine thinks that you're making roughly 100000 a year. So it's going to tax you. It's going to take deductions away as if you're earning 100000 a year. So you don't have bad surprises at year end when you have to pay your income taxes. But in reality, if you're only doing two weeks a year, working crazy hours and making $2,000 a week for those weeks, well, at the end of the year, if you're only earning like $6,000, you're going to pay practically nothing in income taxes. So you're going to get a big income tax return. So the only thing that happens there is when you do a lot of overtime, you get paid money, but a lot of that money, uh, well, not a lot, but part of that money, you will only receive it when you do your income tax returns. It's still your money. You might have a little delay before opening it, uh, getting it but uh, it's still beneficial for you to get paid those 20 hours at time and a half versus getting paid in the future just 20 hours because even though it might seem like better for you in the short run, in the long run, tax rates as the ones I had you calculate in the previous exercise are based on yearly taxes. You never do your income tax returns and say, well, how much did you earn for that specific week and that specific week? No. So what was your total income? What was your total deductions for the year? They'll calculate how much you should have paid in income taxes if you've overpaid because they've had really high deductions for a given time. Well, then you have a situation where you'll have a big uh, tax return. So that's how the tax system works. So as I mentioned, super important for you to understand that as you earn more money, you cannot end up with less after-tax income and super important that you know how to calculate that. Make sure to practice. Anything mathematical requires practice. And last but not least in this chapter is the idea of the Laffer curve, which is this idea that it is possible for a politician to say, we should decrease the tax rate to increase tax revenue. It is possible for that to happen. And that would be the case if we have such a high income tax level that decreasing that tax rate leads to more people working officially and then more tax revenue being collected. And the way to see this, it makes more sense to see it graphically, but in words, if the tax rate were zero, zero tax revenue would be collected. If the tax rate is 100%, probably pretty close to zero tax revenue would be collected as well. Because if you decide to work and all of that money goes automatically to the government, why would you work? Like, unless you're, it's a volunteer position and you're happy to volunteer, that's fine. But then why are you getting a salary in the first place? So most people, if they were to be taxed 100%, would not work. If I were to tell you like, hey, you can work for me uh, this weekend, uh, 20 hours, I'll pay you $2,000, but uh, the government will collect that whole $2,000. Nothing will get deposited in your bank account. It's just going to go straight to the government. 
a lot of you would just not be interested and that makes total sense. So as soon as you understand that at 0% or 100% tax, we have zero tax revenue, well, you have to understand that somewhere between zero and 100%, there is a tax, a tax rate that's gonna lead to the maximal tax revenue. And if we're too much on the high side, like at 90%, well, maybe dropping it down to 80% will increase tax revenue. And that's easier to see graphically, but you kind of get the gist of it. So if we're currently overtaxed, dropping tax rates can lead to an increase in tax revenue. But to answer the, that response that Republicans often have is we're not typically on the side of that curve that leads to a drop in tax revenue, leads, a drop in tax rates leads to an increase in tax revenue. Societies in general are not overtaxed at present and therefore dropping tax rates typically lead to a drop in tax revenue. So that's the gist of the analysis of taxation. We're gonna apply a little bit of taxation in the next chapter of environmental problems. I hope you guys enjoyed it and I'll talk to you soon.